Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of the Big East Rewind. I am Chuck Everson, your seven-foot host from Villanova. And my co-host, as always, is the Cavity Crate Crusader, Cape Crusader, the Root Canal Royalty, the doctor himself, Sonny Sparrow, Dr. Sonny Sparrow. How are you, Sonny? I tell you, Halloween just passed, right? That's my favorite holiday, man. You could have went as the Cavity Cape Crusader for Halloween, Sonny. I would have liked to see you like with a big tooth and a Batman. I, I, I was just thinking that's that's why you kind of slipped up a little bit. I think that I did, was why I did. I saw some kind of weird, uh, you know, vibes coming from your dental office and uh, some of the people. I mean, all your folks there were all in the spirit of the holiday. I know that because you had everybody dressed up, and that oh, must have nuts. been something having people come in there to get their teeth worked on. And there's uh, Squidward. There's a couple Squidward. of witches. There was. Uh, some football player that looked a little bit like you suspiciously, you know. Yeah. A That's good, always good, fun. Uh, Hall of Famer, man. That's always fun. Yeah. So today we got another Boston College Eagle. These guys have been very elusive, Sonny. It's been very difficult yes. getting the Eagles to come into the rewind. Hard with to get the Eagles to land. That's right. That, yes, that's exact. That's a great way to put. Very good, Sonny. See that? Like that? That was good. I do like that. That was you work good. on your you work on your intros. I'm working on the Eagle has landed. <laughs> very good. That might have been used somewhere before, but that's okay. We're all right. I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it. So. So today we have a guard coming in, Sonny. So you should be very happy. Yep. You know? Yep. No Point bigs guard. today. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So today our guest is a high was a high school all American at Wayland High School in Wayland, Massachusetts. He played college basketball, as we said, for the Boston College Eagles in the early '80s, uh, beginning of the Big East. He was there for the whole beginning of of the conference. We're going to talk to him about that. He was an assistant at several school, schools, including Yale, BC, and Rhode Island, and he was the head coach at Ohio and Bryant, and now currently is the head coach of Naval Academy Prep in Newport, Rhode Island. My main man, Tim Shea. How are you, Tim? Good, good, Chuck. Can, can we no call complaint. you Timmy? Is that too, is that yeah, too bad? Yeah, that's fine. Whatever you want. That's fine with <laughs> me. That's what Tim, I remember you back in the mother, day, man. My mother always called me Timmy, so that's fine. All right. I remember we played you. That was his counter report. Timmy O'Shea. We had to kind of keep, I had to keep an eye on you because you were my position. Yeah. So Sonny, actually, we're trying to find it. Sonny has a photo of you guarding Sonny or Sonny guarding oh, you. Oh, really? I'd like to see that. You guys were playing. Yeah, I was um, guarding you. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we gotta, we gotta dig that out of the archive. So I'm sure our guys yeah. will find that though, but uh, we'll put that on when we get it. So we do our due diligence here, Tim. I don't know how much you know about us, but we do our due diligence. We are what is called, Sonny, what do we call it again? Professional journalists. Professional okay. journalists is what we're called. So that said, we we go through, we spare no expense in, you know, getting <laughs> all down to the to the bottom line to find out all little things about guys, okay? And we picked up a fun fact about Tim O'Shea. Okay, so you got to confirm or deny what what this right, fact. Right. Were you a roommate of Doug Flutie's at Boston College? Well, he lived in our suite where there were you know okay. three bedrooms. Yeah, so Doug lived in there. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Doug was it, a, I was a senior. Doug was a junior. So that was before he threw the pass to Phelan, right? That would have been his senior year. So I was yeah, I was at that, that point a grad assistant down at the University of Rhode Island with. Brendan Malone, who sadly just passed away. Passed. Yeah. That's right. Very yeah. sad. Wow. So that would have been I'm too bad. You missed that by a year, Tim. That would have been Bedlam uh, coming yeah. back. Your sweet, your sweet mate well, did that. And, and then, yeah. That would have been Doug, great. There was always, a, even before I left that junior year when I was a senior, Doug had already, next to Larry Bird, he was probably the biggest, uh, most popular athlete in Boston at that point. You know, we've we got to ask you a question everybody wants to know. Boxers or briefs, Doug Flutie. <laughs> you know, I can't remember. That's all. You're going back a lot of years. All I know <laughs> is that uh, I, he was a great roommate, very quiet, very humble guy. Uh, a lot of the weekends, he would just go home. Um, he lived nearby in Natick, and his girl girlfriend was from there, and his family was there. Uh, he was not a guy that was out um, late at night. Um, loved sports, loved basketball, loved golf. Um, he always seemed to be doing something in the off-season athletic. And, uh, and he liked his Flutie Flakes, right? Because when he went to Buffalo, oh, yeah. man, he turned it on. I'm a huge Bills fan, so 
Yeah, no, he had he had some great moments in, in NFL, and obviously in Canada, he was a legend. Uh, and what he did for Boston College, that was sort of a golden era right. of football when he came on the scene. The greatest Doug Flutie story that I know was the fact that um, living in the same apartment before Doug moved in, one of my roommates came back and was talking about this Flutie kid was a pretty good prospect. He was a freshman then, a true freshman. Um, but he only got to go on the Penn State trip. He was a last-minute ad to travel with the team. And he got into the fourth quarter basically as a four-string quarterback. And there was a lot of talk he was going to move like a defensive back in the spring because he was a good athlete. And he had that one great drive. And next thing you know, he's in the starting lineup and the rest is history. But he was one of the last kids. He may have been the last kid in that recruiting uh, class to get a scholarship. Um, Jack McNeil had come on board. Some kids left. And I believe Scott Gieselman was the last. And he became a kid that got drafted. Doug was the second to last kid in that recruiting class to be offered a scholarship. He was going to go play at Brown, I believe, where his brother had played. And it's amazing, you know, a few years later, he ends up winning the Heisman Trophy. Just incredible. Yeah. You know who credits him Credits him for coming to uh, to uh, Boston College is Dana Barrow. Dana was, Dana, he, he was be. visiting. He had Dana on, and he, he said he was yeah. going there on a football visit. Right, okay. And then it uh, turns out he, he winds up playing hoops there and has a great career, went on to play in the NBA. For a lot of years. Oh, yeah. Just, so Dana, Dana credit Doug for him coming to BC. Correct. Yeah, yeah he played some yeah, pickup with him in the, in the, I, in the I Robertson. Was a, I was a grad assistant when Dana was recruited by Gary. They didn't offer him till late in the state tournament, you know, because he was small. He's only about five foot ten. put up unbelievable numbers. But Dana, you know, he wasn't heavily recruited. Another story no. of a guy that kind of flew under the radar um, that BC ended up taking him, and he was good from day one. I was a grad assistant when he, Dana was a freshman. And, um, you know, again, again in hindsight, it's crazy that he didn't have more offers, but he was not heavily recruited. Yeah. And he wound up being a big-time scorer, too. Boy, uh, a pro. I mean, 10-year-plus yeah. oh, yeah. pro. BC had a run of guys, undersized, under-recruited guys, that um, went on to have tremendous pro careers. Michael Adams, John Bagley, bigger guy, Jay Murphy, Jay, Doug Flutie yeah. in football, on and on and on. So it was really incredible when you look back on it. So enough about talking about your roommate. We know you, you know, <laughs> Doug Flutie, yeah. Doug Flutie yeah. sitting around somewhere saying that he yeah. was Tim O'Shea's roommate. Yeah. So, That's right. Yep. Right. So, okay. So let's get into it. So you were a high school All-American in Wayland, yeah. okay? And you played you brought you and your brother were on the same team, your younger brother? Yeah, my brother Tom, sure. Tommy, yeah. yeah. So and and talk about talk about what that was like playing with your brother. I played with mine and, oh, yeah. and I know we, we had a, it kind of built up a, a a bond that was already strong, made it a little stronger by playing on the sure. same team. Yeah. Tom ended up playing at the University of Vermont, had a good yep. career coaching for a number of years. Um yeah, it was great. It was a great time. You look back, Wayland was a nice town to grow up in. Had a very good high school coach and since passed away, Joe Perrell. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Russ Doherty off the air. We were talking a little bit. Russ was from the same town. So we're a town of about 10,000 people. They have three guys who go on to play Division One basketball. It's pretty unusual. Um, and great. It was, you know, some great memories. Um, again, I think we all look at, I'm 62 now. I don't know how you guys are, how old you guys are, but it's just amazing how quickly time passes. Yeah, uh, but that was that was a great time in our lives. It really was now, high school, and obviously a lot of our college experiences. When we look back, uh, we didn't always appreciate them as we probably should have. Now, Tom was a real tough guy, right? Yeah. He had an, he, had, he played with an affliction, and they and I believe yeah. they named an award after him. At sure, Vermont, they did. Right? Yeah, he had a club oh, foot, that. so it really? was interesting. Yeah, my father got him golf. I never played golf when I was a kid, but he was concerned that Tom wouldn't really be able to find a sport because of the club foot. wouldn't be able to play basketball. Any sport required running, but he, you know, was good enough with a club foot to get a division one scholarship and really have a, had a very solid career at UVM. Uh, last year he played for Tom Brennan, um, who went oh, on to have a lot coach, of success yeah. at yeah. UVM. And um, they did name uh, basically a, an award that's sort of for perseverance uh, award. And that really fit Tom, a guy who got absolutely the most out of his ability. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it was I, great. I, I wanted to ask you about that. I heard all about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That was great. Man. Tim, in oh. your high school days, did you um, were you in the Patrick Ewing? Like, was that yeah. was yeah, that Patrick, something going on? That like, because he sure. was such a phenom in the country. So Patrick was a year behind me, and 
That was at the very beginning of this whole A, what would become AAU. Mm -hmm. um, Leo Papil, who's still very prominent on the AAU circle, had a team of Boston kids. And the backcourt was me and Carl Hobbs, who obviously has been coaching oh, yeah. had a good career. Sure, UConn. Uh, UConn. Yeah, UConn. Mm -hmm. yeah, Ewing was our center. Uh, I remember a kid by the name of Paul Little went to UPenn and had a really good career at Penn. I'm trying to think who else was now going back. But those were the main guys. And we we had a game against like the Russians, um, Leo put together. Um, and AAU, there was AAU, but it was more regional. And the team we couldn't get by was the team from Washington, D.C. with Derek Wittenberg and Sidney Lowe. And they had a, yes. a front court guy by the name of Earl Jones, who was a huge name. And But we played in these little obscure gyms with maybe 20, 30 people in the stands. Nothing like what exists today. As you both know, the big thing back in those days, if you wanted to get recognized and get recruited, you had to go to five-star camp. Right. And if you played well at five-star, uh, you know, that's where you'd really get recruited. Uh, Mike Jarvis was actually the assistant coach on that team with Leo. Well, Leo, they were co-coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a kid, Martin Clark, too, who had played at BC. Was sure. Good player. Number 33. The, He's a yeah, pretty good John, player, too, Tim. Felton, Sealy. Uh, elbow good, jump shot, man. A, a, a core group of guys back then. But again, it was not anywhere near as organized and structured as things are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Derek Wittenberg was on the show, and he talked about playing you guys and playing Patrick and stuff. It's yeah, funny you yeah. mentioned his name. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, nobody would forget Patrick in those days. I mean, clear it was clear he was going to be an NBA player. Um, the first time I saw Patrick, because we'd heard about this kid in Cambridge who was a 6'9", 6'10", 8th grader, saw him over at the Shelburne Center in Roxbury. And back then, he was so skinny. Uh, but you could see the athleticism, but he had no endurance. He'd go up and down the court two, three times and be exhausted. And I thought he got a big break when um, Mike Jar having Mike Jarvis as a high school coach. Because Mike was really, um, he was a great uh you know, great level coach for a high school kid. And he really guided Patrick through the recruiting process and everything else. And, um, you know, Patrick obviously had a ton of natural talent, but having a, a, you know, such an exceptional high school coach like that, I think made a big, big difference in his development. Did you ever play against a Pete Wynn at, at Beverly, a teammate of mine? Pete Wynn? I remember the name probably at some point so long ago that yeah, now. he was he was kind of under the radar too, and then we I remember yeah, we no, recruited him. Yeah, no, I remember the him. name. No, I remember the name. Yeah. And uh, I know, you know that was, like your league, if you guys played each other at all. You know, it was a guy you might know. Yeah, I think you around your era, Sean Current Karens. Oh uh, yeah, he's my team yeah, in high school. A, yeah, he's in Newport now. He's around here. He's done well. He has uh, a place there. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah, he's done well. Um, it's funny so, looking back on that whole. I visited Syracuse, by the way. Oh, did um, you? Yeah. Uh, so um, you'd have been Dan, in. Dan, uh, Danny Shays and Leo Routens were my host. Okay. And I, I, I had a good time go. up there. Yeah. It, it, might, it might have been, you know, I, had I known BC was going to have Bagley and Adams, probably should have, the Qs might have been a better a better landing spot. But uh, there you go. Uh, no, I yeah, enjoyed yeah. it. Enjoyed the Qs. So who else, in, in speaking of recruitment, who, who, right. what were some of the other schools? Because right. well, you obviously, you're an All-American, so you are yeah, yeah. on the radar of a lot of schools. Talk I, about I, who's I, coming I, after Tim O'Shea. Well, no, I visited Stanford, Tennessee. Stanford. Davidson, yeah. Stanford was, I initially committed to Stanford, then I backed out just because it was so far from home. And uh, back then, you know, people weren't as caught up in the name of schools. But I did visit Harvard, but I had to pay to go to Harvard because they had no scholar, athletic scholarships. Yep. And I liked Stanford because that was a full ride mm -hmm. out of basically a Harvard. And, I, you know, I, you sometimes wonder what, what, what could have, you know, happened maybe. But uh, you know, that was the main one to visit Tennessee, Syracuse, Davidson, Harvard. Um, yeah, and then I never really took an official visit to BC, and after I backed out of um, Stanford, that just was close to home. My father had gone there, obviously a good coach in Tom Davis. Uh, my timing was might have been just a little off, um, you know, with Bagley and Adams, but I still played a lot the first couple of years, had a couple of knee injuries. Uh, but overall, you know, again, somebody wanted to be a coach, uh, to play two years for Tom Davis and two years for Gary Williams, and then eventually become Gary's um grad assistant was a pretty good education in itself i, I want to ask you about dr tom davis yeah. right because he he was very innovative i think at right. the time right and and, a, and like a, a coach's coach right so what was what was recruitment like with him and then what was uh, it like playing for him? well 
interestingly, he and Gary Williams ran, they were, you know, Gary had been his assistant for a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. And Davis was very big on his system, the pressure right. defense, the flex and all that, which, you know, was somewhat restrictive, quite honestly, if you're a player. It was very effective in terms of winning basketball games. But, you know, I thought Gary was more of a player's coach in terms of a guy like Michael Adams was going to do better playing for Gary. We had a little bit more freedom. Whereas Tom Davis, and I'm not knocking, they were both great coaches, was very, um, that system was very structured. There was no shot clock. I mean, we'd throw 40 bounce passes before we'd shoot the ball. It was all it was all based on getting a lot of it was based on getting to the free throw line and just wearing a team down with cut after cut after cut, which was effective. But in hindsight, you know, you might playing for Bayheim or some other coaches where you could play a little bit more would probably appeal to the player in, in most of us as opposed right. to being in a system. And Williams was much more, I thought, of a player's coach, but they were both excellent in their own way. I, I was just going to ask you, kidding around with you, where did you, where did you learn how to not shoot the ball when you were open? How well, to that was a big part. That, that was into the post, right? Yeah, that was Davis. It was a very disciplined, restrictive system, and you know you could get a little robotic. You know, just the way yeah. to be honest about it. How, but, how many guys had the green light from fifteen feet? Not many, because back then there was no three point line. But I mean, fifteen like the elbows. That's yeah, like Martin no, Clark was like money. Did, did, yeah, elbow. a little bit. But Davis, you you know how BC played back then. You know, you just keep turning it over, turning it over, turning. It was okay. I mean, again, I think the three point line, the shot clock, have all been really good for the game. And it's hard for kids. You even think about remember the first three point line, how close yes. it was. Yeah, I mean, it was ridiculous. It, it was, was basically absurd. Top of the key, right? Yeah, and give Patino credit. He was the first, Patino was the first one to really say, hey, we're going to totally take advantage of this. Yeah. And that was a big part of the Providence success. Billy Donovan, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was just the way, you know, you played. You, you played in the system, you bought into it, and that's how you how you did it. Where it's bad, you know, Bagley just kind of was so talented. Um, he could score inside and outside. So he, I, I guess he had a little bit of a green light. He, he was also light, so physically strong. Right. Like people right, don't right. understand. Yeah. He, he, you could not move him off his spot. No, no. You look at him, you'd be like, oh, he's not that quick. And he's pretty quick. Yeah. But he, he'd have been a hell of a football player, too. Well, he could know? dunk a basketball easily. And he weighed over 200 pounds at about maybe six foot, six one. And right. the other thing, as I said, the most incredible thing about John, you know, the 50 50 balls and the scrum or whatever, John got 98% of them. I mean, he just had those incredibly strong hands. Yeah. Um, so I mean he he was he was tremendous in the flex. He also was the type of guy that you know you got down close down the stretch. He's a was just a total go-to guy in college. I think I think he was the MVP of the Big East if I'm not mistaken his junior year and then he turned pro and he went in the first round and um you know had a great career. I think he played 13 or 14 years. Mm -hmm. And Michael Michael Adams did the same thing. I think he played Made an all-star game at one point, played yep. 10. So those are two really, some really, really good guards. We had another guy, Dominic Presley, who you probably remember. Fast lightning. lightning. He, he yeah. passed away in his early Made 30s. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Um, no, and we had um, we had a lot of talent. Jay Murphy played in the NBA. John Garris played in the NBA. John was a big, Bagley strong guy, too. Yeah, I think, I think Dominic Presley made a team for a little while. So yeah. we had a lot of guys. That would go on and play. You know, you play in the NBA for a minute. You got to be a hell of a player. What was practice like? Talk about practice with well, I, I like, those I like guys. Williams and um, Davis were very similar in that most of practice was going live. We'd press, we'd go up and down. There wasn't a lot of you know drilling. It was more we played. Really? Yeah, we pressed and you would think they would break that offense down and constantly. Yeah, work. maybe early on we did, but once we got going, it was just repetition competition up and down i like practice because it went quick it wasn't a lot of um um you know you weren't bored with a lot of repetition um gary was very much up and down and mm -hmm. practices weren't overly long i think we're usually an hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes by the end of the year maybe an hour a little over an hour they were quick but they were high intensity when you when you finally made your decision tim to go to bc mm -hmm. yeah and I and I know you talked about the coaches and and that and that right. played a part into it. Did you take into consideration that this was a brand new conference? There was a lot of changes yeah. going on at the time because it started yeah. in '79, right? You came in in '80. It had one year yeah. under 
about. Did that, did that come into? <laughs> nah, not really. It was close to home. It was close to home. My father had gone to school there. Like I said, I was originally going to go out to California, yeah. to Stanford, and it just made sense. They had recruited me for years. Um, I knew a lot of people at the school. I used to go over there and play pickup all the time. It's probably the place I felt most comfortable, you know, um, and that had more to do with it than anything else. I knew the Big East was a good league, but nobody really knew for sure what it was going to become. You know, we still played in Little Roberts Center. Um, Villanova uh, played in their little gym, uh, whatever that was called. Seton Hall, you know, same thing. At the end, there was a stage. Walsh, you know, Walsh gym. Yeah. yeah, it was fine. It was they were just starting to put games on TV back then. It yep. was totally different. It yep. was more yeah, about no, you know being no, close. ESPN to home. is in your backyard, so th- does yeah. that does that come into factor at any point? Like, are they like, hey, let's go talk to our local Division One teams, which is there's you guys, there's Prop, right? There's well, maybe may a lot, right? I, I'm sure the coaches, administrators were thinking about that, but kids like myself that you know we were you know we weren't giving it that much thought. You know, BC was a good school. It was close to home. And, um, you know, they recruited me hard. And I did get a pretty good opportunity to play. And then, you know, I had some injuries. And Michael obviously blossomed into a star. And, yeah. you know, I had a decision. Do you transfer or do you, do you stay? And, you know, I, I, I thought about it, but then I decided to stay. And in hindsight, I'm, always, I'm glad I did because I really enjoyed playing for Gary Williams. I think I learned a lot. He gave me a chance to be his grad assistant. And, um, you know, for somebody who wanted to be a coach, you know, having an opportunity to start, but also having to be a backup wasn't the worst experience in the world because then you get a sensitivity for all the roles you play on a team. You know, we don't look, you know, we could all say, had we gone to X school, we would have been stars in hindsight, but you know, that just isn't always how it played out. Um, mm-hmm. And, right. you know, we all got to play for great coaches, whether Roley or Bayheim, myself, two great coaches. And we take, took away some relationships and also let's face it in terms of life lessons, Sometimes, you know, facing a little adversity or some adversity when you're young isn't the worst thing in the world either. No. As you get that's, older. That's when somebody's character comes out, you know. That's when you find you're, out what kind of person you are is when during times of adversity. Well, and you have to fight through it sometimes and struggle exactly. through the disappointment or whatever and just pivot, figure some things out. So uh, I think it's helped me as a coach over the years dealing with kids. And I'm yep. very sensitive, you know. I always said the hardest thing for me was a coach sometimes, having a kid who worked really hard, was a good player. You might have recruited hard. And you just couldn't get him on the floor because you just happened to have a guy that his position was a little bit better. And right. that was tough. I remember at Ohio, I had a kid who was Mr. Basketball in Minnesota. Greatest kid you could ever want. Good student. But at his particular position, the guy was there was always a guy who was just better. And so his opportunities were limited. Just the way we all know how that goes. We can all well, think of teams, especially the two of us. We know how it goes. You know? Yeah, well, no, we all. Honey know. and I both know that all too well. Yeah, you know, a little guy named Pearl Washington came in. That changed sure. my whole landscape. Well, yeah, Sonny used well. to be a six-five point guard, Timmy. <laughs> well, now you know, I remember six-five shooter. Yeah, I had to move I, I, to shooting guard or not play at all, right? Well, I remember looking at Syracuse and people were saying, "Well, they're going to recruit over you and get this guy, or that guy." Well, they weren't going to any, any any guys better than Bagley and Adams. As it turned out, really. Yeah. Know, I mean, they had good players, obviously, but so you never yeah. know. You know, Truth no, is, though, any any Division One school is always looking to get better players and get better. So no it's just question. a fact of competition. Yeah, and sometimes you know um, you're in the right place at the right time, and sometimes you're not. Doug right. Flutie's a great example. Doug was so close to being moved to a defensive back, and an opportunity came his way, and obviously he seized it. But there are plenty of guys that, you know, the moment doesn't come. And, and you know, the hardest thing as a college athlete is if you start to lose a little bit of confidence or mm-hmm. you've got to play a limited role. So, you 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 know, you can kind of, you know, there's there's a lot of luck involved in a great career, a great coaching career, a great playing career. Um, do you stay healthy? Uh, you know, all, all these. We, we both know that. Um, but I think we all look back, as you do at Villanova and Syracuse and myself at B.C., we're, you know, overall, I think we were all very fortunate. At this, point, at this point, we have a new sponsor to the show. And Who's we that? want to welcome our good friend, Peter Haber and Third Eye Consulting Property Management Systems. We'll be right back after we hear about <laughs> Third Eye in less than 60 seconds. Third Eye Consulting is the name you can trust when it comes to property management. Our good friend, Peter Haber, runs Third Eye Consulting. 
Whether you're a landlord, an out-of-state homeowner, or an investor, Third Eye Consulting provides innovative property management solutions tailored just for you. They'll take the hassle out of property ownership and turn it into a profitable experience. They've done this for many others. Visit their website at thirdeyeconsultingllc.com to learn more. So, okay. Well, we're back. Thanks. Thanks for that. And thanks to our friend Peter Haber for sponsoring the Big East Rewind. Appreciate that. So talk to us about this, Tim. You mentioned the Roberts Center. That was Mm -hmm. a home court advantage for you guys. That was one of the worst, toughest places to play (laughs) as an opponent uh, in, in the whole conference, man. I mean, especially if your last name was Presley and your first name was Harold. They killed Harold Presley in that yeah. play. Talk about what it was like playing in there and having that advantage. Well, you know, just what made it, one of the people that really made it a tough environment, believe it or not, was a student that joined uh, Davis Found early on that wanted to sort of, as a marketing project, tried to sell, get tickets and build some enthusiasm. It was Bruce Pearl. Bruce yeah. Pearl came down. And he would run around the Eagles. So he'd do anything um, he could to build up excitement. And so it got to a point when that place was packed, um, it was a tough place to get a win. Just as Villanova and obviously the Carrier Dome and, uh, you know, the whole league were, were snake pits when the buildings were full. And Robert Center, that floor was a little funky. It was like a rubber floor. Yeah, that was yes, tough. It was. Um, yeah, it was, it was different. But um, and it had like the, the the stands like on that pitch. You were, felt yeah. like you were in a pit. It was sort of it was a glorified high school gym. That's what it the was. Dome, the dome had that floor too, didn't it, Sonny? Back it did. Then? Yeah. rubber floor, brutal that on your knee. Floor. That killed you brutal legs. on your knee. Had to be. Oh, did you be. practice on it every day? The the we uh, practiced and, at Manly Fieldhouse for a while, right. and that had the same tartan floor. Right. And, and, and it was, but it was a little bit softer in Manly because right. in the dome it was just flat out on top of concrete. I mean, yeah, I don't understand why everybody didn't have a nice wooden floor. Right. We had that crappy rubber floor. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Villanova, you had that, whatever that gym, what was that gym called you guys played? They called it the Cat House back then. Now it's called Jake <laughs> Nevin. They named it after Jake. Yeah. Trainer. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that yeah, was, when you think yeah, of the, you stepped on somebody's foot, that's how you knew you were out of bounds right, at that place. Yeah. They were, the band was on the stage in, in on one end and everybody was right on top of you. You had no place to go. Yeah, the facilities back in those days was actually kind of funny when you think about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then know, and then uh, Gavitt made them go all to the big, you know, then next thing you know, Boston they playing went to at the Yard right. and we're playing at the Spectrum, mm-hmm. you know. Sonny's still yeah. playing at the Dome and that big monstrosity, <laughs> the Dome. So, uh, you played yeah. A, yeah. Timmy, I got to ask you a couple of questions. In your, in, your, in your playing days at BC, what yeah. are some of your memorable times and moments or stories about either opponents or <laughs> – visits well, or like you know on well, the road stories kind of thing well i mean i did host patrick ewing on his visit but he was never going to go to bc i think that he was always going to go to georgetown nice guy um well you know i think back obviously when pearl hit that half court shot that was tremendous remember that when they you know okay. off of yeah. free, Pat, Pat, you uh, remember martin Slack missed some free throw and yeah pearl martin missed sean got the rebound hit yeah. pearl one two dribbles up yeah, and he just kept running, and then Gary Williams went crazy in the locker room, breaking a bunch of stools, and that was pretty funny. Um, I mean, it would have been started, overtime otherwise. It was tight game. I think my freshman year, we had a crazy comeback. It might have been against Syracuse, was it? Yeah, it that, was. Uh, let's, let's not go there. Yeah, I remember that. No, no, I, I vaguely... Guys, <laughs> that was the Big East tournament. That was an utter collapse. That game, someone sent yeah. me it on, on YouTube or something. I didn't realize that we actually had a double-digit lead with, like, a couple minutes left. Yeah, next, I, that's so know, long and, ago. And we were been... running like there was a 20-second shot clock. It was in Connecticut then. I think yep. it was at Hartford. Yeah, it was in Hartford. Yeah, it was in Hartford. And then it yeah. moved to Madison Square Garden. Yep, that was um, the last year at a, yeah. at, a, at a location at MSG. Yep. Yeah, my freshman year, we went to Sweet 16. Sophomore year, we went to the final eight. Now, I'd hurt my knee that year, so I was – uh, I don't know, missed the last 20 games. I had to have knee surgery. We lost to Houston, uh, Reed Geddes, but that was a very close game. And then Tom Davis would leave shortly thereafter to go to Stanford as the head coach. And then Gary came in. Uh, that first year, we went to Sweet 16. Then our senior year, we just didn't really click as well as we could have. And we, I think we went to the NIT. 
But three out of the four years were in the NCAA, which is pretty good. Now, uh, Mark, Murph was in your class, right? Jay was right. in your class, and he was and Clark, yeah. right? Martin was in our class. He had a little, you know, meltdown at the end there. Had a little uh, meltdown. Yeah, we heard. <laughs> Let's leave that. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen Martin yeah. in we'll thirty years, so I don't know what he's up to these days. Did he play pro in England? Because he was from England, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I never really. Probably, I don't know. I think he did. I don't know. There was really not much played out there. I think I remember playing against him out there. So I think. He yeah, did. I mean, that wasn't much of a league. I mean, it was barely. They called it pro, but you know, it was nothing like what we would consider pro. Uh, you yeah, play on an yeah. indoor outdoor carpeted rug. You talk about playing in a tough spot, Timmy. We Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean uh it was like you were deaf. You couldn't hear the sneakers squeak, you couldn't hear the ball bounce, nothing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean anybody anybody was any kind of college player at the big east level could have gone to Europe back in those days if you wanted to go to one of those smaller countries and been, you know, a great player if you wanted to. Um I was wanted to get into coaching, so I was fortunate to get a grad assistantship right away um, so let's go let's go into that because Sonny and i go over this topic time and right. time again big guys versus point guards point. that's head coaches right. you know right. always, the jobs always go to the point guards we realize they're the floor generals you know on the court coach on right, the court Tim? well i mean you know there's a, there, there there were a lot there are probably more guys that played point guard that whole idea of coach on the floor right um you know, there's probably something to it. Although come on, come on, come on. Wait, well, wait, wait. No, Stop being so plenty, humble. Stop being there, so there, humble. There are plenty, there are plenty of examples. Well, you got McDermott at Creighton. He's been a great coach. Yes, uh, he he has. Has. There's, there's been plenty of guys. I mean, not that many. Come on. Eh, not that well, many. The, well, the biggest thing, let's all face the, it, today all in college. The guys are gone now. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. la, the, the last of the Mohicans was Patrick Ewing. Yeah. That was it. He was, our, he was our last hope, and now he's now he's done. Well, so. you know, let's face it, college basketball today, it's – Tom Davis said to me years ago when he knew I wanted to coach, he goes, look, 75% of it is recruiting, <laughs> and he's probably right. He said 10% is – 10 to 15% scheduling, and about 10% of it's exit and O's. And I think he's correct. You know, you got to have the players. You don't wow, have the horses. A, but that's a big number if you think about it. Well, I, I, but I think it's pretty accurate. You, I think we'd all agree. Yeah. I mean – Oh, you know, yeah, it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. Well, I've always heard that. I don't disagree with that well, at all. Well, ske- and scheduling is probably the biggest inequity when you're talking. You know, talking it's funny you mention that. No one's ever mentioned that, but that is such a great point. Well, if you coach at the mid-major or low-major level, uh, and for example, at Ohio, we were pretty good. We had a pro by the name of Brandon Hunter. We had, unfortunately, just passed away. Um, you know, you can't get games if you're good at the mid-major level. Syracuse is a great example. Um, most of your non-conference games were always at home, and mm-hmm. um, it allowed you to pile pile up seven, eight, nine, ten wins, whatever. Gain some confidence. Don't have any travel fatigue, and then you go into conference play. What an advantage! So um, the smaller schools, yeah, you, know, you get to a small school like Bryant. The only source of revenue was probably a guarantee game. So yeah, you're right. starting the year zero and five, zero and six, because you got to bring in some money and you know, play those games. So. The biggest inequity, I think, is the mid-major, low-major is is definitely scheduling. And you, you know, even if you're in a position where you say, "Oh, we're not going to play any money games," it's still hard to get decent home and home games if you're any good. If you're at a mid-level, so. Right. Uh, but do, it, money is such a big factor, though. You know, like you you said it. You got games, and yeah. I don't know if people understand that they call them money games, right? Sure. Where the lesser team is sort of the sacrificial lamb to the greater sure. team. So you got – For the most part, yeah. You know, Michigan's doing it. They All the big schools are doing it, and they're looking for that sure. you know, that confidence builder. But the school gets paid X amount of dollars. And I've heard sure. some – you know, where some coaches in their contracts will say, listen, if we take some of these money games and or I get them, we're going to split some of that revenue. Part of that's going to be my salary, and part of that's going to go to school, yeah, they're all, which it, is a it, smart it, thing. It, it's what's ever negotiated, but the holy grail of scheduling, I've always said, is winning a money game. So when I was at Ohio, we beat North Carolina for money at Carolina. We won at Maryland. Um, at Bryant, we actually won at Boston College, and we won at, believe it or not, Denver, University of Denver, and they gave us 75 grand per game. But that's, you know, that doesn't happen very often. It's uh, incredibly difficult to win a money game. And there's a reason for that. I mean, you know, the other team's got their officials, their home court. And, and nobody officials... wants to ref that big upset, that's for sure. No, no. You, if you're, you know, you, you, you want to keep working at that level. Um, 
your worst nightmare is when the, the small school is beating the big school because you're getting <laughs> paid very, very well to ref. LeMoyne beat Syracuse. Yeah. What's that? LeMoyne yeah. beat Syracuse. Yeah. yeah. It happens every year here and there. Um, but percentage-wise, I think, you know, a Power 5 school playing a bye game in basketball probably wins 97, 98% of the time. It's about a 2% chance. And um, and if you once you win one of those games, you're probably not getting another one. Uh, but it was pretty yeah. good at Ohio. Winning at Carolina and winning at Maryland, those were, those were good ones. Big time. But it's hard to do, though. And you've you got to be lucky. You've got to be good. about recruiting. And I, I guess mm-hmm. one of the biggest fish you caught, right, was Catino uh, Mobley, right? Sure. Yeah. Talk talk about recruiting Catino and what that was like and, and how you got him. You no, know, here's the truth about Catino. Uh, he was a throw-in. In other words, he was up at Maine Central. We had a good relationship with Max Good when I was at Rhode Island. We needed a point guard. They had a small point guard named name Sean Colson. Sean wanted to go to school with Catino. Thought Katina was okay. We didn't think it was anything special, so we took him. And he also had to sit out a year academically under the old Prop Forty Eight rules. Nice, right. But we had no expectation. We were getting a great player again, a little bit lucky. And he kept getting better and better. And obviously, his senior year, and by then Jim Herrick was a coach. You know, he exploded, became a second round pick, and I think he got with the right team. Ended up in Houston, with I think it was Olajuwon and uh, was it Samson or Brock? I forget. But basically, Katina was in a situation where he would get a lot of open shots because of the double team. Come back out to him, and he could shoot. He had good size. But trust me, nobody, nobody coming out of Maine Central felt that Katina Mobley was a future NBA player. Yeah. Just just one of those guys. He got better. It happens. Yep. And he used fortune to be at Rhode Island. And I think in some ways, I think the coaching change from Al to Herrick might have helped Katina a little bit, you know. Because Jim was a little more, Al was much more defensive oriented, whereas Cat was more, you know, and Herrick was a little more offensive oriented. So, yeah, talking and about then, Al Skinner and Jim Herrick, folks. Yeah, yeah. no, but I, I was with Al for 13 years. It was great. And Good then man. and then he was yep. with you at Brian, because I remember. Uh, yeah, he came up, with me for a couple I, years. You guys, had, you guys had a hell of a staff up there. You had Happy Dobbs, who was a teammate yep. of mine, yep. and Al Skinner. I mean, I, yeah. I, I was like a. Like a little kid again, because Al was, of course, a big member of the yeah. uh, the, the, the New York uh, Nets. Yeah. You know, that played on Long Island with Julius Irving and yeah. Sonny's favorite player, Super John Williamson, at the time. Super John. You know? So it was nice to be able to catch up with him. Yeah. Talk about Al's, talk about working great. with those guys. It was, was great. Fun. Happy Al, they were great, and uh, we had a pretty good run. And then, the, you know, unfortunately for us, we got hit with the transfer thing. You know, you lose the leading scorer in the league and the rookie of the year league in, you know, May. At that level, you don't replace those guys. And I always thought to be good, you got to score 75, 80 points a game. You got to defend, yeah. but you got to be able to score. But when you lose those, that type of firepower, you just, you know, such a thin margin. Um, but, you know, that's the whole transferring thing has really made uh, the life of a college coach a lot more stressful, I think, at every level, you know, because kids have. It basically can be free agents, you know, immediate eligibility. Now you throw in this NIL, uh, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, no, it's no I'm coincidence that, 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 that Coach K and, and Jay Wright and, and uh, yeah. Roy Williams and those Roy guys Williams. all got out right within the same calendar year, basically. I mean, there was a I, lot of, I, there's a lot of stuff going on in it, and it's, it really is not policed the way it should be as far as some of these things, but, you know, it, it, well, I guess they're waiting to see how it plays out for a little while, and then they'll, you know, kind of set things up. But it, it's kind of like yeah. being on a pro team now. Oh, no question. Um, you know, that's why teams are hiring general managers. Um, yeah, Villanova. Duke has one. Ed, Ed Cooley's got one at um, Georgetown now. and But there's, you know, I don't think it's sustainable. You know, um, you got to raise the money every year. It's not tax deductible. You don't get any credit to the university for giving it. Um, you know, what do you do? You got a guy that's giving you a certain amount of money and you invest in a certain player. He doesn't play well. That guy's calling you up. And I mean, there's so many unintended consequences. So many, um, I don't know. It's, I just don't think it's healthy. I thought, and I don't know if you guys agree. I thought getting to go to Boston College on a full scholarship, travel, uh, play basketball, the free gear, live with regular students, go to class with everybody else, 
Yeah. I thought that was a healthy way and a great, uh, just a great deal. Now, you know, that's not enough. I mean, I see kids posting pictures of the cards they're getting, um, you know, show, you know, showing their wrist with some watch. I think the, I think the value system's all screwed up. I just don't think it's healthy for the kids necessarily and definitely not for the sport. I don't. You know, that's just my and, opinion. And the, the tough thing too, Timmy, is, you know, you have a culture like they have at Villanova yeah. and other schools too right. about family. Right. We're going right. to, that stuff kind of goes out the window when you're playing no for your brand. And everybody's playing for the name on the back of the shirt instead of playing on the front. I mean, that that's well, something I think has got to be very, very tough to control when you're when you're a head coach, especially in a mid major where you could lose your guys like that. Think about it, Rhode Island. You know, I saw you or I preview of their team. Eleven new players. You only have thirteen scholarships. Right. St. John's, eleven eleven new players. I mean, these yeah. are just mercenary teams They're thrown together and. Half those guys will be back in the transfer portal in the spring, probably. I just, like I said, the culture, the the sense of community, the sense of maybe fighting through a little adversity. I mean, transferring a guy said to me, I think it's true. There are good reasons to transfer. I know some guys would really benefit. Leo Routens was a transfer. Um, we had John Garris at BC. Plenty of guys do it. But it is a form of quitting for certain kids. And if you have too many of those kids on your roster, I don't know. I, I, what's practice like? Yeah. I don't know. It's just. You know, you know what's interesting, Tim? You talk about the transfer portal. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily go your way just because you go in the transfer portal. No. If, no if question. You had, if you had a scoring average, like we, Villanova picked up a kid from Kentucky. I think he was averaging two points a game and two boards. Yeah. Now you really have to do your homework to see. Is he a two-point player, or is he somebody that maybe got the short end of the stick because right. he had somebody better in front of him or whatever? But, I mean, and you get guys, like, on the mid-major level that are scoring 15, 17 points a game right. at that level. They go to, say, the ACC or the Big East or something, and right. and they're sitting on the bench, and they're wondering what the heck happened. And you can't yeah. go by, And some guys go in and don't even get picked. Now what do yeah. you do? You know, now yeah. they don't talk about those guys. I mean, you you think, okay, well, I'm just going to leave. The coach is yelling at me. I can't listen. If Sonny and I left because the we'd be gone on all the any team we played on, we played right. for two of the best yellers ever to coach. Yeah. But if you if you got you know weren't didn't have tough skin and you wanted right. to get in the portal and get out, you know who's to say that where you go next is is going to be any better? Well, you know. And I think that a lot of coaches are pushing kids in that portal. They want to get rid of the kids. They end up of course. You know, not getting anything. Um, you know, it's, it's a, I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's a different world. I don't think it's for the better. Um, yeah. You know, my experience with transfers is interesting. Um, over the years, the kids that worked out the best were kids coming from smaller schools that had done well that came up. The guys who transferred from the big name schools down, most of them didn't work out because psychologically, at some point in their career, somebody said, you're good enough to play at Louisville or Auburn or whatever. Now you're at Ohio U or, say, a Bryant or whatever. They're, they're a little mentally, they're not, something's not quite right. They've lost something. And they tend to be bitter. They tend not, none of those guys worked out. But the guys coming from the smaller schools, we had a kid from Columbia, Holy Cross, uh, worked out great for me at Bryant. I had, um, I'm trying to think, you have a couple smaller school kids at Ohio, but those guys that came down, I had a kid from BC, a kid from Auburn, didn't work out at all. Yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting trend. But I also always would feel for the coach. I remember years ago, Bruiser Flint lost yeah. his best player to oh, Louisville. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the next year, Bruiser's out of a job because, you know, he lost his 18, 20 point a game score. At Louisville, and nobody understands the consequences for that coach who loses that guy who he gave the opportunity to, developed under his watch, and all of a sudden he's gone. Because it's much harder to replace talent at the low level, mid level. Yeah, you know, and here's the other thing, uh, coach, and this is this is something that, that is not really no. discussed that much either. Right. Once you recruit a guy, let's use Sonny as an example. You recruit Sonny. <laughs> now you think back when we were playing, Sonny's with you for four years. Okay, right. Now you get Sonny, 
okay? And and Pearl comes in or whoever else comes right, in. Right, right. But now you got to constantly be recruiting Sonny if you want to keep him on the team. You it, you can't stop recruiting well, even though he's part of the team, you know? I mean, that's, well, that's got to be a yeah, it also, it also comes Yeah, it also comes down to the to the individual. You know, at BC, I, I certainly could have gone elsewhere. I had started enough games, whatever. At the end of the day, you know, it yeah. just, to me, it made sense to stay and, um, you know, and just play your role and hope, hope you get an opportunity. How do you think you would have handled the, how do you think you would have handled how do you think you would have handled the social media part of it, coach? As a coach? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you just try to educate the kids to be smart about what they post because it lives, it lives forever. You know, the screenshot or whatever, um, you know, you know, in a moment of frustration or whatever, you would hope that um, the young person would be wise enough not to put something up that they would la- later regret. Uh, there was something the other day, I think Pittsburgh had a bad loss in football, and they kind of took out of context something the head coach said, you guys follow that at all? And so all of a sudden, yeah, the football yeah. guys were reposting it. Basically, the guy was saying, you know, we haven't done a good enough job recruiting players. We need to get better players. But he'd said a lot more. If you took it in context, it wasn't you know, he was really not, he basically put it on himself. But my point is, you know, social media is just another point of stress for coaches and yeah. for athletic directors in schools. The and wrong for young adolescents out. too. It's a, it's a, it's sure. a tough, tough sure. time in your life to deal with all that background noise that at one time is very supportive. And then at another time turns on a, step, sure. on a dime. And, and Yeah. And, yeah. No, it's, it's created another it's crazy. Another stressor, yeah, for everybody to deal with, which is you know, cell phones. Hey, maybe we, remember we used to go to a cafeteria. I noticed this at Bryant because um, a little further along in the social media thing. Used to go into a cafeteria at Ohio. It'd be a very noisy place, Boston College, whatever. You go in any university cafeteria these days, it's very quiet. Yeah. Every kid's in a computer or on their phone. They're in a device. They're not talking to each other. Right. It's very mm-hmm. common. That's why when I when I take a team overseas or something, you try to collect all the phones just so you could have some social interaction. Yeah, um, and but, enjoy where you're at too. You yeah. know. Well, another stress for coaches, you know, kids are you're in a locker room, you're upset, you never know if somebody's got a phone on recording what you're saying. Right. I mean, it right. just it, it, it's everywhere. You know, uh, uh, you know, there's a camera everywhere nowadays. You got to assume one at least. It's it's funny and you say that. That's why they have a psychologist now. I mean, that you, you <laughs> no. need to have somebody to talk to about some of this stuff. Because listen, you know, we've all been on the end of it. You know, you get booed or whatever. Yeah, that's, yeah. Different. that's different than fifteen thousand people telling you you're terrible and you you know your family yeah. thinks and you know everything you know everything know. else that they I say. I know where you live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It's crazy. So yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, well, it's. A, it's- we're getting we're getting close to the end here, Coach. Sure. What, what would you tell a younger guy that is looking to get into coaching? You you kind of knew at an early age that that's what yeah, you wanted yeah. to do. What would yeah. you tell somebody? What would you tell the young Tim O'Shea if he was? Well, it, it would. It, it would depend. Well, first off, it would depend. Does a guy want to be a high school coach? You want to be a college coach? I'd say if you want to be a college coach and you want to make a living at it, do whatever you can to get into Division One. Because your chances of, even if you want to be a Division three coach eventually or Division two, the more you can affiliate yourself with top programs, top coaches, and known schools, your resume is going to be more impressive. And it really helps, let's face it, to have played at a, at a big-time program and have a name. For example, Bobby Hurley, I always knew once he turned to coaching, he was going to advance quickly because he's Bobby Hurley. Um, you know, uh, you know the fact it's you are as a college coach part of the entertainment division of the university football and basketball coach and as such having a name having a certain charisma whatever is a big advantage having played at Villanova or Syracuse it's a huge advantage the guy that comes out of you know some small school nobody has heard of it happens but that guy has got a massive climb and at some point somebody's got to give him a shot at a Division One or an NBA team, um, it's really hard. I, 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 you know, I know young people that are, they've been six, seven, eight years in Division Two and Division Three. Their prospects of ever advancing are, you know, every year it gets harder and harder. You got to get very lucky. Yeah. You got to be good, but you also have to be lucky. And it does help to have played at a high level or been affiliated with programs at a high level. 
in my yeah. opinion. I mean, I, I think you said it, you know, there is a lot of luck that goes involved. It, yeah. you know, a lot of luck too when you get into the tournament and yeah. like that too. It's not always the best team, you know. So But you but you gotta hustle. It's not even just the job yeah. you're doing. You gotta hustle with the connections and the contacts of the people that you have and you, you do a little something for this guy, they yeah. do a little something for yeah. you and, well. and they keep that in mind, you help them. But but don't you think though that just honesty and integrity really take you a long way? You know, in, in that yeah. in that profession. Well, when I look back, I was fortunate we had five star camp back in the day because I worked there as a counselor and played there. Right. You know, right away you had a guy like Howie Garfinkel that would recommend you. You had those connections. Certainly, that what you're saying about the integrity that's that's a given. But you still got to have the introductions. You got to know people. Coaches hire people they know. People aren't really you're not really getting hired off a resume. Um, so you right. got to you you network playing for Gary Williams was a big help because he could recommend me Tom Davis, obviously being with Al getting to Boston college and having an AD like Gene DiFilippo was tremendously helpful to me. So, you know, it's those connections and personal relationships for a lot of us that allow us to advance. That's what it's puts this whole though. show together. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what we do here at the Big East Rewind team. We're yeah. constantly trying to network and talking to people. And sure. So we, we know exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's the younger generation <laughs> that uh, is working on those skill sets. And you don't get that by, you know, looking at uh, your cell phone or your laptop. You get that by, you know, actually yeah. having a conversation, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, and I also, well, also tell problem, right? Any young guy wants to coach, save, save, save your money so that you can make some decisions. Like right. maybe work, maybe work for free, volunteer, find a way to get in the door. Because, you know, most of your best opportunities, a lot of times in coaching, might be volunteer or pay next to nothing. You know, you look right. at the guy who gets in the film room in the NBA or takes a low level position just to make some contacts. A lot of those guys ultimately turn out to be pretty successful. Yeah, Remember limited earnings coach in college? What's that? Go ahead, Go ahead Sonny. Go ahead, Remember Sonny. the limited earnings coach in oh, college? Yeah. Remember that yeah. title? <laughs> Another lawsuit, the NCAA right. loss. <laughs> limited earnings. Oh, okay. Yeah. That basically Crazy. means well below minimum wage. Yeah. No, that was. Well, Coach, we're going to wrap it up here. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining Yeah, it was great. We I had a great it. time talking to you. And, uh, All right. Learning all about your career and, and your and your coaching, uh, where, wherever you coached, and, yeah, you know, it was great. So thank you very very much. Yeah, thanks for thanks, having me Tim. on. I, re I really enjoyed it, guys. All right, Appreciate thank you. It. You've all been right. listening to and See watching guys. the Big East Take Rewind. Care. The Big Go East ahead. Rewind was produced and directed by Nick Chico Chorus and Daryl Gurney, and our good friends at Boundless Ventures. And uh, we are dropping shows every Wednesday. And uh, we are expanding our outlook on social media. You can see us anywhere on social media by putting Big East Rewind in the search bar and we'll come up. You can watch the show on YouTube if you put in Big East Rewind in the space bar. And you can also listen to it wherever you get your podcast. And, of course, we ask you to like, subscribe. Share it with a friend, and don't forget to hit that bell so you get notified when the next uh, episodes drop. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a great time. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate y'all.